Section number 10 of Selections of the History of the Franks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by B. Tootin. Selections of the History of the Franks by Gregory of Tours. Translated by Ernest Breho. Book number 6, chapters 1 to 22. Here begins the sixth book, starting with the sixth year of King Childebert. 1. Childebert allies himself with Chilperic instead of with Gunthram. A synod meets at Lyon. 2. Meanwhile, King Chilperic's legates, who had gone three years before to the Emperor Tiberius, returned, but not without severe loss and danger. For as they did not dare to enter the harbor of Marseilles on account of the quarrels among the kings, they made for Agde, which is situated in the Gothic kingdom. But before they could reach the shore, the ship was driven by the wind and dashed on the land and broke into fragments. The legates and their men, seeing they were in danger, seized planks and with difficulty reached the shore, many of the men being lost, but most escaped. The inhabitants took the articles that the waves carried ashore but they recovered the more valuable of them and carried them to King Chilperic. The people of Agda nevertheless kept much. At that time, I had gone to the villa of Nogent to see the king, and there he showed me a great basin of 50 pounds weight, which he had made of gold and gems. And he said, I made this to bring honor and glory to the Frankish people, and I shall make many more if I live. He showed me also gold coins, each of a pound's weight, sent by the emperor, having on one side the likeness of the emperor and the inscription in a circle, Tiberii Constantini Perpetui Augusti, and on the other a four-horse chariot and charioteer with the inscription Gloria Romanorum. He showed me also many other beautiful things brought by the legates. 3. The alliance between Chilperic and Childebert is confirmed, and they agree to take Gunthram's kingdom away from him. 4. Now Lupus, Duke of Champagne, had long been continually harassed and plundered by his enemies, and especially by Ursio and Bertifrid. And at length they made an agreement to kill him, and they marched against him. But Queen Brunhild heard of it and grieving at the unjust attacks on her loyal supporter, she armed herself like a man and rushed into the midst of the opposing forces and cried, Do not, O warriors, do not do this evil. Do not attack the innocent. Do not for one man engage in a battle which will destroy the welfare of the district. Ursio said to her, Leave us, woman. Let it suffice for you to have ruled under your husband. But now your son rules, and his kingdom will be maintained not by your support, but by ours. Leave us, or our horses' hooves will trample you to the earth. When they had continued such talk as this a long time, the queen's determination that they should not fight prevailed. However, on leaving that locality, they burst into Lupus's house, seized all his property, and took it home, pretending they were going to place it in the king's treasury, and they threatened Lupus and said, he will never escape alive from our hands. Lupus saw he was in danger, and placing his wife in safety within the walls of the city of Laon, he fled to King Gunthram, and being welcomed by him, he remained in hiding, waiting till Childebert should come of age. 5. 
While King Chilperic was still at the villa mentioned above, he directed his baggage to be moved and made arrangements to go to Paris. And when I went to see him to say goodbye, a certain Jew named Priscus came in who was on friendly terms with him and helped him buy costly articles. The king took him by the hair in a gentle way and said to me, come Bishop of God and lay your hands on him. But he struggled and the king said to him, O oh, obstinate-minded and ever-disbelieving race, which does not recognize the Son of God promised to it by the voices of its prophets, and does not recognize the mysteries of the church prefigured in its own sacrifices. To these words the Jew replied, God never married, nor was blessed with offspring, nor allowed anyone to share his power. But he said by the mouth of Moses, See, see that I am the Lord, and except me there is no God. I shall kill and I shall make alive. I shall wound and I shall heal. Footnote. The argument is continued at length along this line between the Jew on the one hand and Chilperic and Gregory on the other. End of footnote. Although I said this and more, the wretched man felt no remorse and refused to believe. Then when he was silent and the king saw that he was not conscience-stricken because of my words, he turned to me and asked to receive my blessing that he might depart. He said, I will say to you, Bishop, what Jacob said to the angel, for he said to him, I will not let you go until you bless me. So saying, he ordered water brought for our hands. After washing them, we prayed, and taking bread, I thanked God and took it myself and offered it to the king. And after a draft of wine, I said farewell and left. And the king mounted his horse and returned to Paris with his wife and daughter and all his household. 6. There was at this time in the city of Nice a recluse, Hospicius, who was very abstemious. He wore iron chains next to his body, and over these a hair shirt, and ate nothing but plain bread with a few dates. And during Lent he lived on roots of Egyptian herbs such as the hermits use, which were brought to him by traders. First he would drink the soup in which they were cooked, and eat the roots next day. The Lord did not disdain to work great miracles through him. For at one time the Holy Spirit revealed to him the coming of the Lombards into the Gauls, and he foretold it as follows. The Lombards, said he, will come into the Gauls and will lay waste seven cities because their wickedness has grown in the sight of God, since no one understands, no one seeks God, no one does good to appease the anger of God. For all the people are unfaithful, given up to perjury, addicted to thievery, ready to kill, and from them comes no fruit of justice at all. Tithes are not paid, the poor are not fed, the naked are not clothed, strangers are not received with hospitality or satisfied with food. Therefore this affliction has come. And now I say to you, gather all your substance within the enclosure of the walls that the Lombards may not take it, and fortify yourselves in the strongest places. At these words, all stood gaping, and they said goodbye and returned home with great admiration. He also said to the monks, You too depart from this place and take with you what you have. For behold, the people I have named draw near. But when they replied, We will not leave you, most holy father, he said to them, Don't fear for me, for they will offer me insults, but they will not harm me unto death. The monks went away, and that people came, and laying waste all they found, they came to the place where the holy recluse of God was, and he showed himself to them at the window of the tower. 
They went all round the tower, but could find no entrance by which they could come to him. Then two climbed up and pulled the roof off, and seeing him bound with chains and clad in a hair shirt, they said, Here is a malefactor who has killed a man and therefore is kept bound in these fetters. They called an interpreter and asked him what crime he had committed to be so confined in punishment, and he confessed that he was a homicide and guilty of all crime. Then one of them drew his sword to strike at his head, but his lifted right arm stiffened in the very act of striking, and he could not draw it back to him. He let go the sword and let it fall on the ground. Seeing this, his comrades raised a shout to heaven, begging the saint to declare to them kindly what they were to do. And he made the sign of salvation and restored the arm to health. The man was converted on the spot and received the tonsure and is now reckoned a most faithful monk. And two dukes who listened to him returned safe to their native place, but those who despised his command perished wretchedly in the province. Many of them were seized with demons and cried, Why, holy and blessed one, do you torture and burn us? And he laid his hand on them and cured them. After this, there was a man of Angers who in a severe fever had lost both speech and hearing. And when he got better of the fever, he continued deaf and dumb. Now a deacon was sent from that province to Rome to obtain relics of the blessed apostles and other saints who protect that city. And when he came to this infirm person's relatives, they begged him to take him as a companion on the journey, believing that if he reached the tombs of the blessed apostles, he would forthwith be cured. They went on their way and came to the place where the blessed Hospicius lived. After greeting and kissing him, the deacon told the purpose of his journey and said he was starting for Rome and asked the holy man to recommend him to ship captains who were friends of his. And while he was still staying there, the blessed man felt that power was in him through the spirit of the Lord. And he said to the deacon, I beg you to bring to my sight the infirm person who is the companion of your journey. The deacon made no delay, but went swiftly to his lodging and found the infirm person full of fever, and he indicated by signs that there was a humming in his ears. The deacon seized him and led him to the saint of God. The holy man took hold of his hair and drew his head into the window, and taking oil that had been blessed, he took hold of his tongue with his left hand and poured the oil in his mouth and on the top of his head, saying, In the name of my Lord Jesus Christ, let your ears be opened, and let that power which once drove a wicked demon from a deaf and dumb man open your lips. Having said this, he asked him his name, and he answered in a clear voice, I am called so-and-so. When the deacon saw this, he said, I give thee endless thanks, Jesus Christ, who deignest to work such miracles by thy servant. I was seeking Peter. I was seeking Paul and Lawrence and the others who made Rome glorious with their blood. Here I have found them all. I have discovered every one. As he was saying this with loud weeping and great admiration, the man of God, wholly intent on avoiding vanity, said, Be silent, beloved brother. It is not I who do this, but he who created the universe out of nothing, who took on man for our sake and gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the dumb, who bestowed on lepers the skin they had before, on the dead life, and on all the infirm abundant healing. Then the deacon said farewell and departed rejoicing with his comrades. When they had gone, a certain Dominic, this was the man's name, who had been blind from birth, came to prove his miraculous power. 
and when he had dwelt in the monastery two or three months praying and fasting, at length the man of God called him to him and said, Do you wish to recover your sight? And he replied, I wish to know a thing unknown, for I do not know what the light is. Only one thing I know, that it is praised by men, but I have not deserved to see from the beginning of my life until now. Then he made the holy cross over his eyes with oil that had been blessed, and said, In the name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, let your eyes be opened. And at once his eyes were opened, and he wondered and contemplated the great works of God which he saw in this world. Then a certain woman, who, as she herself asserted, had three demons, was brought to him, and he blessed her with a sacred touch, and made the cross and holy oil on her forehead, and the demons were driven out, and she departed cleansed. Moreover, he cured by his blessing a girl who was vexed with an unclean spirit. And when the day of his death was drawing nigh, he summoned the prior of the monastery and said, Bring iron tools to open the wall, and send messengers to the bishop of the city to come and bury me. For on the third day I shall depart from this world and go to the appointed rest which the Lord has promised me. Upon this the prior sent messengers to the bishop of Nice to carry this word. After this, one Crescens went to his window, and seeing him bound with chains and full of worms, he said, O oh, my master, how can you bear such tortures so bravely? And he replied, He comforts me in whose name I suffer this, for I tell you that I am now freed from these bonds and am going to my rest. When the third day came, he laid aside the chains by which he was bound and prostrated himself in prayer. And after he had prayed and wept a long time, he lay down on a bench and stretched out his feet and raised his hands to heaven and thanked God and died. And immediately all the worms that were boring through his holy limbs disappeared. And Bishop Austedius came and most carefully placed the blessed body in the grave. All these things I learned from the lips of the very deaf and dumb man, who, as I related above, was healed by him. He told me many other miracles of his, but I have been kept from describing them by the fact that I have been told that his life has been written by many persons. 7. The Bishops of Uze. 8. Ebarchius died also, a recluse of Angoulême, a man of great holiness through whom God did many miracles, and leaving out most of them, I will tell briefly of a few. He was a native of Perigueux, but after his conversion, he entered the clergy and went to Angoulême and built a cell for himself. There he gathered a few monks and prayed continually. If any gold or silver was offered to him, he would pay it out for the necessities of the poor or to ransom captives. No bread was baked in that cell while he lived, but was brought in by the devout when it was needed. He ransomed a great number of people from the offerings of the devout. He often cured the poison of malignant pimples by the sign of the cross, and by prayer drove demons out from the bodies that they possessed, and with his charming manner often rather ordered than requested judges to spare the guilty. For he was so attractive in his address that they could not deny him when he asked a favor. On one occasion, a prisoner who was vehemently accused by the inhabitants of many crimes, both thefts and homicides, was to be hanged for theft. And when this was reported to Abarchius, he sent his monk to entreat the judge to grant life to the guilty man. Since the throng insulted the judge and cried loudly that if he were let go, it would be good neither for the country nor the judge, the prisoner could not be let go. 
Meanwhile, he was stretched on the wheel, beaten with rods and clubs, and condemned to the gallows. And when the monks sadly brought the news to the abbot, he said, Go, wait at a distance, for be assured, the Lord will grant us of his own gift what man has refused. When you see him fall, take him and bring him at once to the monastery. The monk went about his bidding, and Ibarchius threw himself down in prayer and wept and poured forth prayers to God until, the bar and chains being broken, the hanged man should be placed on the ground. Then the monk took him and brought him safe and well to the abbot. And he thanked God and ordered the count summoned and said to him, You were always used to hear me kindly, beloved son. And why did you harden yourself today and refuse to let the man go whose life I ask for? He replied, I would willingly heed you, sacred priest, but the people rose and I could do nothing else for fear of a rebellion. The recluse answered, You did not heed me, but God deigned to heed me, and he restored to life the one whom you gave to death. Behold, said he, he stands alive before you. As he said this, the man threw himself at the feet of the count, who was astonished that he saw living one whom he left dead. This I heard from the lips of the count himself. Moreover, he did many other miracles which I have thought it tedious to relate. After forty-four years as a recluse, he contracted a fever and died. He was taken forth from his cell and buried. And a great assembly of those he had ransomed, as we have said, followed his funeral. 9. Domnolus, bishop of Ma, began to sicken. In the time of King Clothar, he had been in charge of the monks at the church of St. Lawrence in Paris. But as he had always been faithful to King Clothar, while the older Childebert was still living, and often concealed his messengers when sent to spy, the king was awaiting an opportunity to make him bishop. When the bishop of Avignon passed away, he had proposed to appoint him there. But the blessed Domnolus heard of this and came to the church of St. Martin, where King Clothar had then come for prayer. And after spending a whole night in watching, he sent a hint to the king through the leading men who were there, not to remove him far from the king's sight like a captive, and not to permit a man of his straightforward character to be worn out among sophistical senators and philosophizing judges, saying this was a place of humiliation for him rather than of honor. To this the king assented. And when Innocentius, bishop of Ma, died, he appointed him as bishop of that church. When he had reached this honor, he conducted himself so that he rose to the summit of holiness and restored the power of walking to a lame man and sight to one who was blind. After twenty-two years in his episcopate, he perceived that he was greatly worn out with the king's evil and gout, and he selected the abbot Theodulf for his place. The king assented to his desire, but not long after changed his mind, and the election was given to Bata Chisel, the king's major domo. He received the tonsure, went through the grades of the clergy in forty days, and when the bishop passed away, he succeeded him. 10. In these days, thieves broke into St. Martin's church. They placed a railing which was on the tomb of a dead man at a window of the apse, and climbing up by it, they broke the glass and entered. And taking a great quantity of gold and silver and silken cloths, they went off, not fearing to set foot on the holy tomb where we scarcely dare to touch our lips. But the saint's power made this foolhardy deed known by a terrible judgment. For after committing the crime, they went on to the city of Bordeaux, and a quarrel arose, and one killed the other, 
and thus their deed was found out, and their theft was revealed, and the broken silver and the cloths were taken from their lodging. When this was reported to King Chilperic, he ordered them to be bound and brought into his presence. Then I was afraid that men would die because of him who in his lifetime in the body often prayed for the lives of the lost, and sent the king a letter of entreaty not to put these men to death, since we to whom prosecution belonged did not accuse them. And he received my request with kindness and restored them to life. And the valuable articles which had been scattered he collected very carefully and ordered them sent back to the holy place. 11. Dinamius, governor of Provence, and Theodore, bishop of Marseille, quarrel. Childebert supports Theodore and Guntram, Diniamius. 12. Chilperic takes advantage of the quarrel and seizes Perigueux, Agen, and a number of other cities belonging to Guntram. 13. Lupus, a citizen of Tours, having lost wife and children, desired to enter the clergy, but was prevented by his brother Ambrose, who was afraid that he would leave his property to the Church of God if he were joined to it. Ambrose, persuading him to his harm, provided him with another wife and appointed the day to meet to give the betrothal gifts. Then they went together to the town of Chinon, where they had a dwelling. But Ambrose's wife, being an adulteress and loving another with the love of a lewd woman and hating her husband, made a plot for him. And when these brothers had feasted together and had drunk wine in the night until they were intoxicated, they lay down on the same bed. Then the adulterer came in the night, when all were sleeping heavily because of the wine, and setting fire to the straw in order to see what he was doing, he drew his sword and struck Ambrose on the head so that the sword went in at his eyes and cut the pillow in two beneath his head. Lupus was aroused by the blow, and finding himself wallowing in blood, he called in a loud voice, saying, Alas, alas, help! My brother is killed! But the adulterer, who had committed the deed and was now going off, heard this and returned to the bed and attacked Lupus. Although he resisted, he was wounded many times, and overwhelmed and given a mortal stroke and left half dead. But no one of the household knew of it. In the morning, all were amazed at such a crime. Lupus, however, was found to be still alive, and after telling the story as it occurred, he died. But the harlot did not take a long time to mourn. In a few days she joined her adulterer and departed. 14. In King Childebert's seventh year, which was the 21st of Chilperic and Guntram, in the month of January, there were rains and heavy thunder and lightning. Blossoms appeared on the trees. The star, which I called above the comet, appeared in such a way that there was a great blackness all around it, and it was placed, as it were, in a hole, and gleamed in the darkness, sparkling and scattering rays of light. And a ray of wonderful size extended from it, which appeared like the smoke of a great fire a long way off. It appeared in the west in the first hour of the night. At Soissons on the day of Holy Easter, the heavens were seen to be on fire and there appeared to be two fires, one greater and the other less. And after the space of two hours, they united and formed a great flame and vanished. In the territory of Paris, real blood fell from the clouds and dropped on the garments of many men, and so defiled them with gore that they shuddered at their own clothes and put them away from them. This prodigy appeared in three places in the territory of that city. 
In the territory of Saint-Lis, a certain man's house, when he rose in the morning, appeared to have been sprinkled with blood from within. There was a great plague that year among the people. The sickness took various forms and was severe, with pimples and tumors which brought death to many. Still many who were careful escaped. We heard that at Narbonne in that year the bubonic plague was very fatal, so that when a man was seized by it he had no time to live. 15. Felix, Bishop of Nantes, was stricken by this plague and began to be seriously sick. Then he called the neighboring bishops to him and begged them to give the influence of their signatures to the choice which he had made of his nephew, Burgundio. Then they sent him to me. At that time, Burgundio was about 25 years old. He came and asked that I would consent to go to Nantes and give him the tonsure and consecrate him bishop in place of his uncle, who was still living. This I refused to do, since I knew it was not in accordance with the canons. Still, I gave him advice, saying, We have it written in the canons, my son, that no one can rise to the office of bishop unless he first passes through the grades of the clergy in regular order. You then, dearly beloved, must return thither and request him who has made choice of you to give you the tonsure. And when you reach the office of priest, be regular in attendance at church. And when God wills that he pass away, then you will readily attain to the office of bishop. He returned and pretended to take my advice, since the bishop Felix seemed to be recovering from his illness. But after the fever departed, his legs burst out in pimples from the humor. Then he put on too strong a poultice of cantharides, and his legs putrefied, and he died in the thirty-third year of his episcopate and in the seventieth of his life. And Nanicius, his cousin, succeeded him by the king's order. 16. Felix's niece had been married to Papalanus, but Felix brought about their separation. Papalanus now recovered his wife from a nunnery. 17. King Chilperic ordered many Jews to be baptized that year and received a number of them from the sacred font. Some of them, however, were purified in body only, not in heart, and lying to God, they returned to their former perfidy so that they could be saved to observe the Sabbath as well as honor the Lord's day. But Priscus could not be influenced in any way to recognize the truth. The king was angry at him and ordered him to be put into prison, in the idea that if he did not wish to believe of his own accord, he would force him to hear and believe. But Priscus offered gifts and asked for time until his son should marry a Hebrew girl at Marseilles. He promised deceitfully that he would then do what the king required. Meantime, a quarrel arose between him and Fatir, one of the Jewish converts who was now a godson to the king. And when on the Sabbath Priscus, clad in an orrery and carrying nothing of iron in his hand, was retiring to a secret place to fulfill the law of Moses, suddenly Fatir came upon him and slew him with the sword, together with the companions who accompanied him. When they were slain, Fatir fled with his men to the church of St. Julian, which was on a neighboring street. While they were there, they heard that the king had granted to the master his life, but ordered the men to be dragged like malefactors from the church and put to death. Then, their master being already gone, one of them drew his sword and killed his comrades, and then left the church armed with his sword. But the people rushed upon him, and he was cruelly killed. Fatir obtained permission and returned to Gunthrum's kingdom whence he had come. But soon after, he was killed by Priscus's kinsmen. 18. 
Legates returning from Spain report that King Luvigild admits that Christ is the equal of God, but denies that the Holy Spirit is God at all. 19. Guntram's men cross the river Orge and do damage in Chilperic's territory. 20. In that year, Crodinus died, a man of magnificent goodness and piety, a great almsgiver and helper of the poor, a lavish enricher of churches and supporter of the clergy. For he often started at the beginning and cleared estates, laying out vineyards, building houses, making fields. And he would then invite bishops who were poor and give them a feast and generously distribute among them houses with fields and men to till them and silver and bedding and utensils and officers and slaves, saying, let these properties be given to the church, that when poor men are supported upon them, they may obtain pardon for me before God. I have heard many other good things of this man, which it would take too long to tell. He died in his seventieth year. 21. List of Prodigies 22. King Chilperic, having seized cities belonging to his brother, appointed new counts and ordered that all the tribute of the cities be paid to him, and we know that this was done. In these days, two men were seized by Nanicius, Count of Limoges, who were carrying letters in the name of Chartarius, Bishop of Perigueux, which contained many insults against the king. And among the rest, it was put as if the bishop were complaining that he had gone down from paradise to hell because, forsooth, he had been transferred from Guntram's rule to the dominion of Chilperic. The count just named sent these letters and these men to the king under strict guard. The king patiently sent for the bishop to come to his presence to tell whether the charges against him were true or not. The bishop came, and the king confronted him with the men and the letters. He asked the bishop if they had been sent by him. He said they had not. The men then were asked from whom they had received them. They said it was Frontonius the deacon. The bishop was asked about the deacon. He replied that he was his greatest enemy, and there could be no doubt that this was his wickedness, since he had often set wicked plots going against him. The deacon was brought at once and questioned by the king. He testified against the bishop, saying, It was I who wrote this letter, at the bishop's order. But the bishop cried out and said that this man had often devised clever tricks to cast him out from his office. And the king was moved with pity, and commending his cause to God, he let them both go, interceding with the bishop for the deacon, and begging the bishop to pray for him. And thus the bishop was sent back with honor to the city. But after two months, Count Nunicius, who started this scandal, died from an apoplectic stroke, and as he was without children, his property was granted to several persons by the king. End of section 10. Recording by B. Tootin.